creating this revolution. Glazer is plainly an erudite fellow, especially for an economist. But just so you don't think he spends all this time thinking about Renaissance art and ignoring his own discipline, well, we talked about that too. You know, within the field of economics, there are larger and smaller parts of those increments. But we're a field that builds on itself. And it's sort of a striking fact that within economics that the Nobel Prize doesn't really give awards for single papers so much as it does for a series of contributions by a particular person. And that's surely as it should be, because it's rarely true that sort of one paper on itself is, is so revolutionary that changes things. It's more that people build on each thing. And it often takes dozens of extra ones to figure out what it means, what it implies for the wider world. So plainly, you appreciate incrementalism in your own field and in other fields. Do you feel that puts you a little bit in the minority? Do you feel that our political and, and social culture is always looking for some version of the moonshot? I don't know. I mean, I think this is more a Silicon Valley thing than a Cambridge thing. I think maybe I believe in incrementalism because I'm so painfully aware of the very incremental nature of my own contributions. <laughs> uh, but it's certainly true that in the political sphere, we are always looking for big bang solutions. We're looking for a leader who will make everything right by coming around the corner. And inevitably, we're you know, incredibly disappointed that somehow or other this new leader didn't magically change everything. The more that you just think that the right answer is to elect one person who will magically fix anything, the less that you actually pay attention to what really matters, which is the knit and grit of everyday decision-making, of everyday governance. So civil rights reform strikes me as one where incrementally there have been massive improvements and yet it seems as though the appetite for an overnight solution to every civil rights issue is kind of expected and when that doesn't happen there's massive hue and cry even though overall the trend has been moving in the right direction do you see that as well or do you think i'm wrong on that no, I, I agree totally with that. And it required people who, I mean, the NAACP, for example, which worked for decades before the Civil Rights Act, right, to move the ball forward, often in ways that were important, but seem today quite modest. I mean, fighting up to the Supreme Court, fighting the attempts to zone by race, for example, which it did in the teens. American segregation would have been even worse if cities could have explicitly zoned by, by race, but they couldn't. Fighting restrictive covenants, as it did in the 40s. Fighting segregation in America's schools, as it did in the 50s, decade by decade, increment by increment. And once we start thinking that there is a silver bullet, we lose that. We lose the fact that we need to be working day by day over decades to affect change. So let's take a look at a recent story that's been decades in the making. The court now holds that same-sex couples may exercise the fundamental right to marry in all states. No longer may this liberty be denied to them. In 2015, the Supreme Court ruled that same-sex couples have a constitutional right to marriage. Marriage, wrote Justice Anthony Kennedy in the majority opinion, is a keystone of the nation's social order. There is no difference between same and opposite sex couples with respect to this principle. The challenge laws excluding same sex couples from marriage cannot stand under the Constitution. In 2001, the Pew Research Center found that a majority of Americans opposed same sex marriage. The margin was 57% against to 35% in favor. But by 2015, those numbers had practically flipped which would seem to indicate a rather sudden shift. People often say to me, um, wow, gay marriage, it succeeded so quickly. <laughs> they say that all the time. 
We all like a dramatic story, but things don't happen out of the blue, and it's so interesting to get a true picture of why change happens rather than this sort of phony, all-of-a-sudden picture. That's Linda Hirschman. She's a legal scholar who used to practice labor law. She's argued two cases herself before the Supreme Court and briefed and managed a third. She is also the author of several books, including Victory, the Triumphant Gay Revolution. The revolution, Hirschman argues, was incremental. It wasn't the explosion that the popular narrative makes it out to be. So, to understand how we got here... Here at the Supreme Court, Jake, you can probably hear gay rights. You need to go back to a time when life for gay men and women in America was very different. There's another group 